everyone, it's Samilla from Menswear Buy and Woman Podcast. Welcome to another episode. Like today's episode, I must say, I've got to, I'm gonna say this bit. I have waited over a year and a bit for this gentleman to come onto my podcast, and I am so so happy he's finally here. His name is Terry Betts. Now the majority of us in menswear will know who he is, right? And I I'm gonna get him on board. He has, well, he was the buying director of menswear in Selfridges. He was the senior menswear buyer at Mr. Porter. He was, well, you know, um, a, a director of buying and business development at Thread. He's done a lot in menswear. So I, I presume that's why he was so busy for a year and a half. He was like putting me off. So anyway, I've got him on board. I'm, I'm never going to let that die actually out. Um, Terry, welcome to Menswear Buy and Woman Podcast. <laughs> It is absolutely wow. lovely to have you on board. Absolutely lovely. Welcome. Uh, thank you. That was, uh, yeah, that's really ramped up the pressure of what I need to deliver now. Um, <laughs> as if there wasn't enough pressure, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants listening to your other episodes. Ollie Spencer, Andrew, E.B., Nigel, Caben, Alice Walsh, Satish. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite a roll call, this. Um, yeah, all, the, all the, the great and the good so far. So, yeah, I'm excited to be here. So you're one of the giants as well, you know. <laughs> Standing on their shoulders, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, from a BA honours in English literature <laughs> to menswear, how did that happen? Uh, yeah, that's a, yeah. I would it, think it you would be like a... So long ago when people ask you, where did you start? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I started, I suppose my sort of, my career in retail started um well, it started actually started at petticoat lay market where i had a stall but that that was okay. probably not what led me to director of selfridges i guess yeah i guess it's all cumulative uh so i had a stall at petticoat lay and i also worked in quite an incredible independent called zoo which was sort of on the edge of east london uh it's still there um and i was sort of you know saturday boy stock boy um and I worked there sort of through uh, university. So I was at Goldsmith, so I wasn't sort of that far away from where I grew up. Um, and so I used to come back um, across the river from South London, uh, um, come back and then I worked there sort of full time. And when I finished my English literature degree, um, the owner, AJ, who's always been a great mentor, sort of said, do you want to do this full time while you work out what you're going to do? Um, which at the time was going to be, I don't know, anything from journalist to, yeah, sports writer, um, but not, yeah, didn't necessarily think fashion. I, I don't think I knew the template for, for what a fashion career looked like, like what, a, you know, what a buying career would entail and, and what you needed to do because I hadn't gone to fashion college, so I wasn't necessarily involved in the design part. But, you know, it was fairly artistic, um, you know, connected to the music scene, all of that, all of that sort of subculture stuff that, you know, so many people on, 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 on some of your wonderful podcasts are talking about, right, that sort of that 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 melting pot of influence that right. becomes sort of fashion and music and style and art and, and all, all the sort of creative skills. So, yeah, so I sort of went, I went full time there at Zoo and, and, you know, and we curated, I don't know, I guess there are great independents sort of Pegs and Sons and the Bureau and this stuff, but the, then it felt like they were sort of the centre of the universe of whatever town you're in. And, and that one was, you know, we had Yoji, Yamamoto mm -hmm. and Kondogas on and Izzy Miyake and, yeah. 
um, all kinds of, you know, and then it sort of, we ended up sort of doing Prada and Gucci and, and you know, and, and for a small independent on the edge of East London, we had sort of, we had no real business having that sort of offer. You can, I don't think you could do it now. Um, but, but you learn, right? Like I swept mm-hmm. the floors and did the window dressing and did the stock taking room and also got to go to Paris and Milan and do the buying and do the show. So you just, you sort of, you learn so much. Um, uh, which I think is still an amazing grounding. I don't know. I don't know if I would have the same skill set if I'd necessarily done sort of a buying and merch course, uh, a fashion college. Although I, you know, I respect that, and I've, I've worked with some great people um, on, on my teams who've, who've gone that way. But yeah, it felt like quite a sort of yeah, quite a sort of spit and sawdust way of learning the industry and then coming up and just always being around product. You know, from showroom to customer, that full sort of that full journey. And buying it and and making sure it sort of ended up on people. So I guess that was that was the joy for me, um, sort of yeah, the selection and 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 and, and get it onto people. So yeah, and then you know and that became that became my launch pad, uh, which is yeah, it's quite strange when you sort of say it like that. But yeah, that was that was the beginning. So very lucky, feel very grateful to have had such exposure at, at sort of you know as a, as, a, as a teenager then I was when I started there. Did you find it difficult though, like understanding, yeah, understanding the trade and everything, and not coming from the trade? I mean, you know how fast it is and how ruthless it is at the same time. So there's me like saying ruthless. Any business is ruthless, <laughs> but this trade yes, does show yes. its colours. <laughs> you know. Well, I, I guess we. I guess you sort of arrogance isn't the word, but self belief is probably a better way of putting it. Like. We, we, you know, we knew that business in that and we went to, you know, there was trade shows like Sam in yeah. Paris yeah. and 40 Degrees in London and Pity yeah. obviously was, was going in and we did the Paris show and so we did Milan. So, so I sort of just, I, I had sort of quite an unshakable self-belief that what we were buying and what we were curating yeah. and what we were offering was, was as good as anything. So I, I don't think, you know, I don't think you sort of, I, so I guess I wasn't intimidated by that. I think right. I, th- I think I really like you know. Then it was like the face and ID and you know and all these sort of magazines was was was, yeah. was your education, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so well, I think you felt like you were really tapped in, yeah. Um, even though you had to work hard, really, you know, and you know you would go and then it would be like Jones on Floral Street, yeah, uh, yeah. or Browns, um, yeah. You know, and they had and also those people like you know we used to go and see Carlos in Browns or. Uh, sorry, Carlos and Jones, or we just go and see Bernie and Browns, and those people you knew were the buyers. They would curate like there was a sort of yeah, there was a face to it. So I think I always sort of felt like that was my role to, to sort of represent that. So so then actually, and you know, I, I suppose to answer that question is that my move to Harvey Nichols. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, this was never confirmed, but I think this this is what someone told me once was that there was a customer in Harvey Nichols, um, and he and they said, you know, Harvey Nichols. This was sort of late 90s early 2000s when it was it was you know super strong yeah um and someone was in there someone told me that there was a customer in there and they said look you know this is great but it's not as good as this shop i go to called zoo and so oh no <laughs> i know which is really odd isn't it and, and sounds, <laughs> yeah it sounds a bit big-headed to say that so i don't mean this this is what was told to me but um and so yeah so the the, the, the buying director sent the team down to go and have a look and see like what, what is this place um and went in there and then and then rang me and offered me a job so it was quite a i suppose it was a good validation of what i was yeah, doing but it was quite an unusual yeah. way to 
end up as a buyer at Harvey Nichols because, of course, I hadn't come up through being an admin or assistant buyer or I'd never, you know, I'd never, like I said, I was doing everything. So at Zoo, so to suddenly just be a buyer was, was, yeah, was, was, was quite a shock when I got there. So I think, yeah, I don't think, I think the speed and all of that was fine and the work ethic and all of that because I was doing so much, but to suddenly sit behind a desk in an office, uh, just buying and not being on the shop floor, um, was, 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 was quite a, a sort of clunky transition. Um, but of course it was being around product and, and living on the shop floor that, that also made me connect with a customer, um, and understand what it was that, that the customer needed. So I think, yeah, that sort of, that, that's skill set was the one that, that sets you up for success. But, but yes, the, yeah, suddenly arriving in Knightsbridge, um, on my first day, was quite, <laughs> was quite a change of environment. That's for sure. I can imagine. Then you went on to Selfridges, right, to become the buying director of menswear. Uh, I did a little thing in between called Mr. Porter. Oh, yeah, sorry, Mr. Porter. Now, Mr. Porter, right, is a huge, huge menswear place right? Uh, um, online, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah, well, during those times, right, I suppose online was quite difficult as well because you're trying to convince the consumer to come on and buy online without touching the fabrics, trying it on and all that stuff. So how did you not do this? I mean, how did you try and convince customers to come on? Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting now when you have these conversations because, of course, everyone assumes that it was a, a slam dunk to make this business <laughs> successful. But there was no – well, I think there was two things. One, there was no there was no luxury online for menswear. I mean, Netaport had been doing it for about a decade, but very different, very catwalk-driven. Yeah uh you know quite sort of quite glamorous yeah. um which was you know, not the not the mr porter uh style and tone at all it was sort of much more black and white right and and, and sort of product-led um and also that as well as it not being luxury online there wasn't many places that you know menswear was still quite fashion-led it was quite brand-led um as opposed to product so i think to suddenly build a business that had I don't know, Turnbull and Asser and John Lobb and yeah. Lock and Co. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and, and those kind of places online as well as, you know, incredible tailoring um, and, and, you know, and, and, and luxury cashmere brands. Like people were like, well, you know, like is this – although now, like I say, with hindsight, people thought, well, when you spoke to brands, like they really still believe that that customer had to be served in store. Yeah, I know. And then they touch it and try it on. And yeah, exactly. to be fair, probably – you know, there was probably some validity to that because it was like, well, people going to buy like a four thousand pound Brioni tux online, or are they going to yeah, buy exactly. Brunello Cuccinelli or whatever it was? You know, John Lobb shoes. I mean, of course, around that was lots of amazing contemporary brands and and fashion brands, but the core of it was that was that was really the difference that you could find true menswear product. You know, brands that yeah, really yeah. just existed in the menswear world and weren't necessarily didn't have women's wear businesses. And that was the, I think that was the, the challenge because the likes of Alexander McQueen or Givenchy and Lombard, they had big women's businesses on their support. So that was, you know, that was a slightly easier um, recruitment to get them on board. But, you know, some of the, some of the true Italian menswear brands and some of the, you know, I guess slightly older, you know, the yeah. sort of English British yeah. brands with provenance, like, I don't think they really understood, like, how were we going to tell the story, like the likes of, 
you know, Edward Green and George Cleverley and so on, so on. And so, and so that really become about, you know, was there an audience who were interested in learning how this stuff was made and the beauty of the fabrics and, and really getting quite, you know, sort of train spottery about it, which I think you can do in menswear. I think that was the sort of bit that Mr. Porter hopefully was, was kind of everyone's kind of cool best friend who knew just a bit more about clothes, but was still accessible, like not yeah. stuffy and not yeah. too elitist. Yeah, yeah. Even though, you know, I sort of, yeah, it, it, I, you know, I, listen, I think we were proud to say probably had like the best menswear offer in the world. Um, but, but with, yeah, with some unexpected stuff, still a sense of discovery. So yeah, it was, you know, it was an amazing, pro- it was an amazing project. It must, have been, it must have been one of those projects, right, where it took some time to convince the guys to come on and buy because, you know, men are quite, I mean, guys are quite fussy in buying what you want to buy though, aren't you? <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. You know. And I think. I think there's sort of, I think there was sort of two camps, right? There was, there was, you know, there was people that loved it because they were like, wow, these are all the brands that, you know, yeah. you never found all those brands in one place. No, so exactly. all of a sudden it was like, it was a menswear destination yeah, and yeah. it was style led. Yeah. You know, there was style advice on how to wear, yeah. you know, a navy blazer five ways or, you know, like why you should be buying this double monk. And, you know, I mean, it was, very, it was very much of that era, wasn't it? Like knitted Charve tires and exactly. Brooks Brothers downs yeah. and you know loads of loads of great sort of iconic staple stuff essentials but um but i think there was also a customer that sort of yeah i think sort of wanted a bit of hand holding right wanted to go well look like why should i buy you know a cashmere jumper that's three times the price like what's what's in it what's the mate what's the story where's mm-hmm. the romance and i think that editorial team of jeremy langmead and jody and Dan Mayer's style director were, were, were so powerful in getting that story story across. You know, me and Toby Bateman, Toby had worked with me at Harvey Nichols, went on to Selfridges, and then we met up again at Mr. Porter, and he was the buying director. So, like, we were great at product, but in terms of getting that across to a customer in a way that didn't intimidate them and yeah. didn't make them yeah. feel like they weren't, you know, they weren't part of a club, right? It was sort of, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to kind of, I don't know, it felt like you sort of opened the doors to that stuff and just said, look, there's all this amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot, and, you know, for a lot of those brands, got I'm a much younger customer, you know, a lot of those German street brands and started several road brands, you know, introduced them to a global customer that wouldn't necessarily walk through their doors. I don't think. Um, but you suddenly told it through the video and social and, you know, was able to style it with tons of other great brands and also contemporary brands. You kind of could take them out of their world a bit and go, well, listen, this is how you wear, Charve, or this is how you will turn yeah. Balanessa. Um, and, and, and it sort of, yeah, it became, it, yeah, it was everything on there we really sort of stood in front of and believed in. And I think that's what's quite rare in a business, especially as a buyer, to go, you know, of course it was a commercial business and it had to make money. But I think those early days, you really said, you know, nothing got through the, nothing got through the door unless unless we would wear it, unless we believed in it, unless it was like best of class. And that was, you know, very lucky to be able to do that and build it from scratch. Uh, and the guys, you know, Sam Kershaw and Daniel Todd have gone on and, and expanded that business and it's, you know, it looks great now, right? It's just a much yeah, broader, um, more complex thing. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's always, yeah, it's always fun for me to see how it evolved and, and what it's become. Was it different, like, um, with the, with some of the customers that are coming on to Mr. Porter and going to Harvey Nicks and then going to Selfridges, were they not the same type of customers? 
And was it hard to get all of that kind of buying knowledge, like go to Selfridges, how am I going to change Selfridges from Mr. Porter mm. when, when, when the customer's going to go to Mr. Porter anyway? So I think, so Harvey Nichols was always like higher fashion. Yeah. Right, so Balenciaga and yeah. uh, Van and Dries and Jill Sander, like big catwalk. And you, know, and you really bought it in that way, right? You bought it, you know, catwalk looks. That was the... That's what that customer wanted. And that was, you know, that was really exciting. Mr. Paul was much more product led. And then I think Excelfridges was, was probably sort of a mix of both, but I guess much, like much younger Selfridges, much mm -hmm. more trend led, mm -hmm. much more, um, I guess, sort of a stronger kind of casual wear element, you know, so that Selfridges, particularly the era when I joined was, you know, big successes with like off-white, yeah. Um, and helping Virgil sort of work out what it what it meant for him to launch his own space in a designer room, you know, and and you know that was that was probably the highlight there of of watching that business grow alongside sort of like Rick Owens and yeah, uh, it, and it was Bathing Ape and it was Balenciaga. It, it was a different it was a different time. I guess it was the sort of I'm not a massive fan of the the term streetwear because I think it feels like then that product can't exist anywhere else. Whereas I think the design. Was was amazing on some of those brands, but I guess yeah. it was that era, that deck, that yeah. you know, the past decade felt like that was really, that was where the the, the action was. So then the challenge of Selfridges was like, could you bring in, I guess, sort of quieter product, yeah. which was maybe Coochie or Builders in your business, or um, you know, Elder Statesman from uh, Los Angeles, which was like more craft led. And like, where how does that exist in a in a in a store where the footfall was so immense? I mean, it's incredible. For a physical store how many people come through that door and that you had to build in the same way we did all that storytelling through video and content uh and imagery on mr porter like how do you do that in selfies like that sense of theater like what makes that customer come like to your point what makes them come there and what makes them come there is that it's the events and the space and being able to touch it but you have to really elevate that so it's not enough to just sort of put it on a hanger and put it on a rail like you know we was always working with brands to create one-off spaces and you know unique shop fits and launch events and exclusive product because you know you saw more and more um the growth on online i mean actually selfridges online by the time i left was was also huge you know, hundreds of millions but when I started, it was, it was definitely store-led. Um, so, yeah, it was sort of, yeah, all different challenges, but, you know, equally as fun, just, yeah, I guess you, yeah, I guess the skill of a buyer is to put on, like, a different hat. So right. where does Fred fit into all of this, though? You were in uh, mm. Fred for seven years, and, well, I'm just reading on your LinkedIn now at the moment, but, you know, it, it must have been, like, a massive turnaround, like, massive change from buying and seeing all these creative work and then suddenly you're actually dressing the men well you are dressing the yes. men aren't you you're dressing the men in mr porter you were dressing the men um selfridges harvey nicks but it must be a total different atmosphere to what you were d developing at thread because it's all computerized and everything isn't it yeah i guess you know i guess sort of thread was tech native moves a tech company yeah, right exactly. it was sort of tech native at its core so it was almost where I'd worked at fashion companies that were moving into digital, yeah. this was really like a tech company that was moving into fashion. And so that way around, I mean, it was an, it was an amazing culture. I mean, you know, so many smart people, you know, lots yeah. of, which I really enjoyed, were lots of ways of challenging the norms of the industry because, 
those people didn't come with any preconceptions. I hadn't grown up in it. So there was lots of, you know, that, which is a very sort of tech attitude, right, to sort of yeah, break things exactly. and disrupt them. Um and and help brands get to like a different customer like it was it was personalized it was sort of you know it was really the tech enabled you to really scale one-to-one personal shopping across i think there was sort of maybe 1.3 million menus in it at its peak so um you know different sort of market maybe like slightly more accessible market sort of more a, a top end but we were you know we worked with selfridges there mr porter end um as well as you know barber ralph Lots of brands, Ollie Spencer, YMC. Um, it was this. It was really cool. It was you know I'd sort of I'd realised I quite liked building stuff. You know mm-hmm. I'd sort of missed the energy of Mr. Porter where you were creating something. Um, and I guess it was sort of, yeah maybe it was a sort of personal. It was a personal test to me to to sort of go and see if I could help build a business as a part of the founding team without the big business card, right? Without sort of selfies on Mr. Paul or Harvey Nichols, like, could you do it on your own? Have you got the relationships? Can you do, you know, you think you've, you know, you think you've been a good guy along the way and uh, you've got good relationships, but that's, you know, that's really a test, particularly because we weren't buying stock necessarily at the beginning. So it was, it was a real, it was a very, it was a very complex, different model, but you know, um, but you know, an, ama- an amazing team, an amazing team, you know, sort of, to be able to work with everyone from, you know, we work with everyone from M&S, um, yeah, through to some Mr. Porter, right? So, and like, I mean, you talk about menswear, that was really yeah, the full exactly. the full range of, of what was available to men. Whatever your budget was, you got, you know, you got this sort of access to incredible stylists and advice. Mm-hmm. So much more democratic, you know, the idea was, you know, although most of my businesses where I've worked, yeah have been ruled that one was really like how do we just make men and, and a different mission sort of you wanted to make men look good but but much more tied into like making them feel more confident and feel better yeah um and it made, made me realize there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of guys out there that just fashions a, a foreign language right they needed yeah. to help it sort of decode yeah and it's also the- um i also yeah. think it's confidence as well you know like a lot of some of the guys out there yeah. who don't have confidence or going you know like going into a designer showroom or something um you know it's one of those uh, i think it's it's hard sometimes you know to do all of that so there's a there's a reason why guys have just so many guys just wear the same things year after year even (laughs) if it doesn't fit them as well and it certainly isn't fashion is because they don't they don't know where to go they're intimidated even walking around selfridges or walking up and down Lamb's Conduit Street and like, you know, these places that are sort of menswear, Chilton Street, would they would find that overwhelming. They were like, yeah. what's cool? What suits me? You know, what, yeah. here's my budget. How do I put it together? You re- you suddenly realize there's most men, which sounds, you know, sounds like a, an awful generalization, but most men don't really have that knowledge. They don't have, you know, they, they read a, you know, a certain magazine or follow a blog or, but they don't really know how to do it themselves. So where do they go to, which I think sort of goes back to my the start of this conversation. Like I think that used to be like independents used to do that, right? You used to have a local store that yeah. knew you and trusted you and did it. And and as that as that changed and you know, online makes it all accessible, but then it's overwhelming. It's like, okay, well it's two hundred white shirts, like which one is good for me? What like and once they've done that, then it's like, well, which pair of jeans or which pair of sneakers or which jacket? And that just that, you know, the workload actually yeah, becomes sort of 
yeah, becomes overwhelming, which I think then is what we were trying to solve with Thread was go, well, how do we, how do we personalize that so that everything you're shown is in your size and your budget and goes with stuff that you've already worn and, um, and help you build a wardrobe. But yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, interesting. This is, listen, this, you know, it this is, it was an interesting this is the fascinating concept. industry. It's like, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's so many different ways to slice it up. It was an interesting concept, though, I must admit. When it first started, I thought, wow, yeah, okay, how's this going to work? But I was quite amazed how how far they went with it as well, you know, and, and it worked. It really did work, in a sense. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it, listen, it really yeah, did you know, work. Lots of the team were over at yeah. M&S um, still, and they, you know, I think it was, a, it was a great home for it. It was like, you know, I think they appreciated it, they got it, it helped them elevate their offer. Um you know, you could, at that scale, that kind of company can really utilize it, right? So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was listen. It was a great ride. Um, I enjoyed, yeah, every second of it, and you know, and and yeah, and that was that. So yeah, you move on. That's the nature of startups. I think you have to step away when the time's right. So, Terry, where do you think menswear is at the moment? Now, I mean, how do you think we are doing with menswear in UK at the moment? <laughs> Uh, I think we're working. I think we're working really hard, um, in the sense of, like, I think it's really fragmented. Yeah. Um, which I think is the, I think is the nature of, you know, I think that's across the world, right? Not just, not just the UK, but I think you know people are trying to work out which way to go. Um, you know, as we were talking about, like, it was very, you know, if you talk about sort of fashion, it was very logo driven, right? It's very sportswear driven. Yeah. yeah. I think there's suddenly. You know, it's suddenly been a switch to, you know, kind of stuff that's more craft-led, the make of it, which I think is inspiring, right? I think there's a really, you know, I think it lays that there's a nice sort of, you know, not, and it's not a criticism of, of that aesthetic, but it kind of feels like, okay, you know, you go back to stuff that we are talking about, yeah, the provenance and, and fabrication and fit and stuff like that as yeah. opposed to a logo. And it's kind of, there's room for both, but I think, you know, from a personal point of view, it's nice to be talking about um yeah and that and, and and the fact that you can that allows you to talk about kind of where stuff's made and how it's made and some sort of transparency around that i think is really nice um but i think it's you know there's so many style tribes right it used to be so so much more straightforward if you go you know if you look back in history and you talk about sort of whether it's punks or mods or yeah and and you know like you could always tie it in and go okay that's the tribe and people dress the tribe and, like, and you know and this is this is the power of you know, this is the power of, of online inspiration, right? Like you can really drill down into super micro subsets, yeah. which is great and super cool. But then if you're a retailer, like you've got to take a stance, right? You can't be everything to everyone. And I think that's the, that's the challenge. Um, and I think, you know, I think that there's brands that are, are doing a great job of just knowing like what they do, what they do really well, as opposed to, you know, trying to switch around, right? And, and jump around and follow trends and i think that's the that's the risk that people go you know just chase for a younger customer or you know are we you know be on tiktok should we and maybe they should be on all platforms but but you know i think really really keeping hold of like what your core values for and and i guess innovation right like it's yeah. like you should still be innovating there's got to be a talk about how you make stuff yeah and and why should the cut this so much out there how why why is the customer excited like what's the you know what should they be yeah what should they be connecting with you about whether it's volaback right and 
you know, incredible fabrication and, and materials and almost futuristic or Ollie Spencer's fabric or, you know, the, the, the you know, elder statesman's, you know, hang weaving cashmere jumpers in LA, like whatever that story is like, that's got, I think that's got to be at the forefront of it. It's got to feel authentic, um, which I think, you know, there's been, I think the industry has been so fast and so noisy, um, which is fun, right? It should be. I think like that's the nature of, of a really kind of vibrant creative industry, but like as a brand, um, and I think as a retailer, you sort of have to take a stance and go like, what, who do we want to be? Who do? And then the customer understands it. Otherwise I think it's, yeah, I think it gets too fragmented. Do you think we should actually also invite the newcomers as well, like the new upcoming brands as well of menswear? Because, um, you know, like what I see is sometimes like Mr. Porter's always kind of going to the same old designers, but as myself talking to some of the new brands that are out there, do you think we should also, you know, it would be nice to see them on there as well sometimes doing a collaboration with them. Do you think that should happen more often or do you think we should just stick with what we know best? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I know that sounds quite out of um, tune, but I just feel like for the new brands, I just feel like I need to say something about them because there's new smaller brands out there and I'd just like to see them more doing a collaboration with the bigger ones. I um, So, Mr. Mr. I mean, I, I think on Mr. Mr. Paul had that really nice scheme where they were, um, they invited sort of new designers to, right. to submit. Um, I think it was called like the Makers okay. Program. And they, they submitted it and then they sort of helped and develop and mentor them. And I think, okay, I from my experience, that's the, that's the challenge is helping, you know, I always used to say this, you know, when we worked with smaller brands at Selfridges, almost right. like, getting into Selfridges is just the beginning, right? It's like, can you deliver on time? Yeah. Like, can you deliver at all? Which is often the risk, right? When, yeah. you know, how do you, you know, what does that cash flow look like? You know, can you get, you know, can you get the minimums to get it produced that a factory is going to put yeah. you at the front of the line so that, so that you deliver early? Like it's sort of almost the business stuff. I think creatively, I mean, listen, we're super lucky in this country, right? Yeah. We're never of creativity, yeah. but it's, it's how do we, how do we help those brands? Which I think is, you know, I don't know. Hopefully, I've tried to do. And I think, I think the best buys do. I've, I've tried to support them and go. Listen, this is what the machine is like. Once you're in this, this is what you need to do to 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 be successful, right? And grow, like not just go. Oh, well, I'm on Mr. Porter. I'm in selfies. Like, how do you, you know, how do you develop product categories? How do you get feedback? How do you build your own? You know, you want to be building a, your own direct to consumer business at the same time, so you're not reliant and use those you know use the other platforms for sort of exposure and, and marketing so i think i think listen the short answer is yes um but i think it, it it probably needs to be much more of a partnership and i hope um yeah listen i hope the great buyers out there are doing that are kind of helping you know they're helping the brands understand like what they need to do um you know and it's this it's there's always a tension because also the brand should stay pure to its own vision, right? It might not want to compromise. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so then is, is it the right platform? And I suppose, yeah, I suppose it's sort of, yeah, which which is the best home for you? Is it Browns or Selfridges or End or Mr. Porter or Harvey Nichols? Like where's the, you know, where's the best place to fit? It's hard to sort of be everywhere. But, but I suppose as those bigger companies consolidate and get bigger, 
you know, you need to be on, you know, you probably need to be on one of them as your shop window or, or maybe the industry, you know, maybe there's another phase where it, it, it goes back to, you know, that, that it's much easier to get to your tribe, right? If you can do just like really strong, you know, I was chatting to my son about Cortez, right, at the moment. And then, you know, it's just, you know, regular drops, um, Sumo Limited sold out, like, and, and you know, for, for young customers, maybe that, you know, maybe it's different to them. They don't want to go onto big websites with hundreds of brands or walk through big stores. They just want to find stuff that connects to them, their lifestyle and their music and um, and what they're into. So it's, it's also, I think there's like so many more channels for a brand to reach, for, for young new brands to reach their customers. Um, I thought you've just got to be clever and depend what you, you know, work out what you need, um, depending on on what pressure you're under. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, but yes, I, I think this is the lifeblood, right, of the industry. Like we can't be talking about the old guard all the time. Um, you know, like I love doing Mr. Porter in, at launch, but you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't do Mr. Porter as it was in 2010. Like, do you know what I mean? It has yeah, to evolve. Yeah, that's the beauty, absolutely. and hopefully that's that's the buzz of the industry, right? Yeah. That there's tons of new young creatives that that also need a chance. Do you think at the moment, right, with social media and everything, um, is it, I think it's much easier to go to your consumer straight away now than going, getting a buyer to look at your stuff and then getting it into the stores. It's like, you know, the buyer was like the middle person. But at the moment, it feels like, you know, um, if I had my own brand, I would straight, I would go straight to the consumer. I wouldn't forget, I will forget about the buyers. Do you think it's coming to that point where somehow buyers are drifting away because of social media? So, so I, th- I think, I think, I think you can do that as a brand. I think you have to have, I think you have to have a really strong creative message yeah. um, as well as the product. Like, cause you know, if you, t- if you're going to, if we talk about Instagram as a channel, like the, the, just that mindset you're in where you're scrolling, like what makes someone stop, what makes someone yeah. connect with your brand yeah. of the thousands that are out there. Yeah. Um, and, and what makes them trust you, which I think is sort of maybe what a Selfridges or a Mr. Porter gives a brand is some validity. If, if that's your customer, you know, it totally depends what customer you're after. Um, but it's sort of like, okay, I'm in Selfridges. It kind of, yeah, I think it, you know to some extent it's a stamp of approval. It means people can see your stuff, um, and I think you know certainly. I mean, I suppose I know those two places best, but those Mr. Porter and Selfridges buy are, are like are out there, right? Scouring yeah. the world, yeah. looking for new. like that. Like that is their like you know I know both those teams, and that's their that's their buzz there. Um, I suppose yeah, I suppose for for a brand, um, it's like how are you doing? How are you also building your own business? Because that's really I suppose that's the back. Right, and means that you're not dependent on them. That's just like kind of additional marketing. And I think that's yeah, maybe that's what retailers become the sort of um, you know a, you want to make money, right? And you want big orders, but it's also a marketing channel, right? Just to get eyeballs on you or get people walking through and seeing what you're doing. But but you know that your own home, your own website, or your own social channels are really like your pure vision, right? Where you don't have to compromise yeah. and just and tell that story, whatever that is. Um, so yeah, so yeah, I guess it depends on the buyer, but hopefully the good ones are the good ones are out there looking for newness every season. I mean, that's the I think that's what the industry depends on. Yeah. So who's your favourite menswear designer? Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> at the moment, yeah. 
at the moment uh i'm wearing an andrew eb sweatshirt from the okay. missing thread exhibition right. um which needs a big call out I yeah you've had yeah actually he's been on hasn't he and yeah Jason. he's come on actually <laughs> he, we've had a massive conversation and also um wayne pinnock uh, uh wayne pinnock amazing yeah, and I got in touch with him recently because he was at the Royal when I was at the, when I was doing my first year at the Royal. He was the sec he was in the second year, and the first thing um, it was so funny because the first thing Wayne actually said to me through Instagram was, "Are you still doing your illustrations?" <laughs> I thought he still remembers oh, yeah. me from my illustrations. So yeah, it was so lovely to actually you know send him a message and be in touch with him. Absolutely lovely, really really great guy. Love his style. Yeah, but, I mean, what a talent as well, right? Oh, he, um, he was yeah, the most really... talented one at the ROG, at the RCA in his year, in that second year. And he I guess... was the most talented one there. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And I said, you know, Andrew, you know, I suppose that, and that, I suppose that's been a nice thing about that is just seeing some of those people getting their flowers, right? Finally, yeah. when they, you know, when yeah. it was so hard to, to get anywhere in well, the industry. Well, as I say, so... Terry, I could have actually climbed Himalayas twice. <laughs> I've achieved it. And trying sure, to get into sure menswear. It's yeah, it's not yeah, it's not yeah, it's not one of the positive things about the industry that so no. yeah, it needs work. So I yeah. guess all the yeah, all of these platforms and yeah. and stages uh, uh, yeah, literally telling the missing stories, right? The untold stories. Um so yeah, I yeah, so I wear a lot of Andrew's uh sweatshirts at the moment. Um who do I like? I've been working with the elder statesman. It's been really interesting oh, to, okay. to to be in a factory. I've never sort of been that far up the manufacturing line, so it's been really interesting to kind of just see like raw yarn dyed and coloured and made into, you know, quite incredible. <laughs> Welcome to our world. <laughs> Mm, yeah, it's quite a, yeah, and yeah, really interesting projects. We did, did a, a project with Lee Scratch Perry's estate, so okay. lots of stuff with his family. And then I guess this year was the big, um, we did big collaboration with Xenia. Um, so it was kind of really interesting to bring those two worlds together, sort of, you know, that sort of huge Italian uh, manufacturing family has been around sort of, you know, yeah. more than a century. Yeah. And then sort of this young, quite psychedelic um LA company sort of you know based in sort of surf culture and stuff so that that was really interesting to see you know and and, and two brands probably doing you know doing what they do better than anyone at the moment so it was really interesting to kind of see what what came out of that um space and it was then it was cool you know we sort of did a pop-up shop in a bunch of places great project with Mr Porter we did Selfridges Harrods Bergdorf so it was like you know it felt like it really had global reach right. um so yeah, and then I suppose sort of yeah, I suppose at the moment it's sort of re-looking at tailoring and seeing like where that's where that's going to go as stuff gets a bit cleaner. Mm -hmm. um, like what does what does that look like now as, as as sort of people start to dress up again? I was in Tom Sweeney the other okay. day. I love what Luke and Tom are doing. I think there's a really interesting kind of style to them. And it's again, it's personal. It feels like it's their their aesthetic. Um, um, and then I get, yeah, and Drake's, I think Drake's is fun. I think they're, you know, uh, the sort of the team in the store is brilliant. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's, yeah, I think there's a handful of people doing some, some really interesting stuff and Volleback, you know, I did a walkthrough Volleback recently with Toby and Satish and it's, it's extraordinary. It's, it's like, amazing you know, what they're so doing. so many stories to tell. It's, it's wild. It's brilliant. It's um, amazing. I'm really excited to see 
it's what just, they do in the I know yeah. it's just incredible what they're doing it's like whoa it's like what a place to work you know with science mixing with menswear my god it's a dream place yeah, to work. And those are like you know brands would you know would kill for those stories and they just have them in abundance right it's yeah, just exactly. you know every fabric's got like a whole depth like a yeah literally a whole chapter just on the fabric yeah it's brilliant um so yeah i think there's you know there's tons of there's there's tons of highlights there. they're all very you know what we were saying earlier all super frank all of those live in completely different worlds right so i think yeah i think you sort of hope that you just you know you just sort of there's best of class in each in each category right and i think that's kind of i think that's really interesting to see just who you know as a business evolves the industry evolves like you know i think there's you know you you look for newness and i think naturally some of the stuff will sort of be edited out and the ones you know as the ones that are left should be the best right i mean yeah. that's the that's the bit what would you say to someone right at the moment with um, smaller brands um how would you tell them to you know there are loads of you know with smaller brands there's quite a lot of challenges that you go through um and you know how it is really hard to keep going as well um what would you say to them at the moment with the challenging time that we have at the moment so i i always found that the ones that the ones that i built the best relationships were were the ones that were sort of regularly in contact right. um okay. like keeping me updated on their progress like yeah. rather than just appear in the buying season and say right here's a collection this is what this is what we're presenting was sort of you know would regularly pop in and say yeah, and I, I suppose the challenge of this is getting time with with buying directors and stuff. Um, but I always, you know, I always felt like it was really important to to, to do that. So, yeah, like to just let me like like what you know what categories they're working on, like you know different factories. Maybe like some of their challenges. Like it was always really nice to try and help and mentor. Um, you know, put them in touch with um, you know whether it was stylists for a lookbook or for photographers or and like try and bring them into the ecosystem because i think it's yeah. i think it's really intimidating as an industry yeah. and and trying to work out like who's um you know who you should be working with like am i doing it right mm-hmm. um are you am i doing it right or am i um you know am i am i sort of i don't know like the model's there to be subverted but i think you have to sort of follow a bit of a pathway um so i think it's i think it's just cultivating cultivating like personal relationships and and, and, and and making sure that it's, you know, you get the support. Because really you only, you know, as a small brand, you probably only need one one of the big stores, yeah. right? I don't yeah. think you need all of them at the beginning. No. Um, but it might be that you need, you know, a great agent. Like you've got, you know, Greg Hewitt, who I love as a showroom. Um, like it might be that those, you know, like those are the people that help you sort of help nurture. Like there's so many, you know, which I think is probably – one of the best things about the industry there's there's so many good people that really want people to do well like people always think oh it's hard and it is hard to break in i'm not saying that but like if you connect with the right people people are super supportive like everyone's trying to move in the same direction like there's not you know there's not many yeah or i haven't found like sort of it's not this elite right that's trying to keep people out like everyone's hungry for the new we all got into it for that reason and fashion keeps you young right so i think even even the people that are slightly older and a bit further along the journey don't feel like they're that old um you know it's kind of like everyone still remembers that buzz and you sort of live on discovering brands like that's your that's your skill set as a buyer right you want to be the first to 
to showcase it you want to launch it you want to be the one that said oh i bought that first collection from x and and yeah and watch them grow watch them build up so so i think like i think i think understanding that like the goodwill's there like people want to people want to support like it's not it shouldn't it is hard but you know the right people um the right people really want to see people do well in this industry like we all know how hard it is and have worked super hard for years to to get to whatever position we're in so you know there's nothing more exciting than going to like graduate shows right or or, or being introduced to, to you know well like i did some stuff with a bfc before and a cfe and, and was just you know trying to help people work out like how to cost stuff right like could you get made here introducing them to you know more established designers to to help them you know work out a, a template or you know help them you know commercially like there's lots of there's lots of bits so i think it's just like you just, I don't know, I don't know what it is. Message people on Instagram, pick up a phone, just knock on the door. You know, yeah, it is. It's kind of like it is a hustle, right? It shouldn't. Maybe it shouldn't be, but I think it still is that that element to it. But knowing that ultimately most of the good people will want to help, which I think is, yeah, which I think is really the most inspiring thing about the mentor industry. The last um, last question: word of wisdom, <laughs> word of wisdom for this oh, okay. trade. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah that's an interesting one isn't it uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have a ready-made like motto uh, uh i think it's uh yeah i think it listen it's a i think all, all the people i know that love the industry and have had sort of varying degrees of success are just are super curious right i think it's like you know no one's seen it all done it all you know like you know, whether it's like Tim Blanks, right? He's still got this incredible energy um, for reporting on new brands. There are people that have seen, you know, hundreds, thousands of shows, you know, like I was in, I, I went to see Rav and Parv's store, The Cloth Surgeon, right, on mm -hmm. Savile Row. And like, mm -hmm. I'm excited. I'm as excited to go into that space and see what The Cloth Surgeon's doing as I was when I went and bought my first Dizimiyaki collection at 16. Like, it's that... I think you have to have that hunger for it because to your point in the last question, like it, it's a, you know, it's a challenging industry. So I think, you know, you've just got to work out like, do you love it? Is there a passion there? Do you love being around product? Because, because I think that's what wins out. I think if you do, then, then hopefully, you know, the, the rest of it with the help of good people, um, you can work out, but I think you've got to, you've got to be really curious and really passionate. And on that note, Terry, I'd just like to thank you so much for coming on to uh, Menswear by a Woman podcast. It's been an absolute lovely and honour to have you on board. Thank you so much, Terry. Absolutely great. I can't believe we've actually done this episode. <laughs> thank you so much. We could have gone on twice as long. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, pleasure. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of your podcast, and if. Yeah, um, there's lots of people I'd love to hear on it that I'm going to recommend it to. Um, congratulations, honestly, it's a bank of work in these episodes that's, 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 that's really insightful, so congratulations. Thank you so much, Terry. It means a lot to me. It really does. Thank you. Take care. Bye.